with that, we'll take our Bibles then and turn to the book of James in chapter number 5. The book of James in chapter number 5, and we're coming to the close of this study of the book of James. And we remember when we began that, that James said, my, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. And, and we have looked at that situation and stuff like, how can you count it joy if you're in the midst of uh, tribulations? And, and we've looked at that and we've seen how that, that, is, uh, how that is possible. But then we also know as we've gone through the book of James that James has talked about the proofs of faith. That if you really have faith, it'll be proven in your life. You know, a man may say he has faith without his works, but I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith without works is dead being alone. And so we've talked about you have faith. You say you have faith. You trust in Christ. That's going to be proven in your works. And so that part of this book, James has concluded. And so now he's kind of bringing up his summary points. And he's going to begin his summary points by continuing to encourage them to be patient. Remember, the, the recipients of this letter are the scattered strangers. They are the 12 tribes of Israel that have been scattered around the Roman Empire. And James is trying to encourage them, and he's encouraging them as their pastor, um, and he's writing to them. And so, in his concluding thoughts, he says in verse number 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take my brethren the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord, for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be yea, lest you fall into condemnation. So James, in his concluding thoughts, leads them to this point to think about being patient. And he tells them there in verse number 7 to be patient. And, and, it, and the word patient here means to be long-spirited. You know, I've never thought about patient as being long-spirited, to, to take the long view. But, but how much of our life should we take with a long view? We live in an instant gratification society where we have to have the new and the best now. We have microwave ovens, you know, so we don't have to, to, to uh, wait for food to reheat like we used to. And, and there's foods that can be cooked quicker. And we have, you know, air fryers now and all kinds of these new contraptions so that we can have our food quicker and better. And, and we're so used to having things now. But James says... To take the long view, to take the long view of life and not to expect instant gratification. 
And the reason he says to take the long view is, is because we're thinking about the coming of the Lord. So, so be patient under the coming of the Lord. And, and so that's live life with expectation that the Lord is going to come. Now it is interesting that we remember that these who are in Christ at this moment believed that the Lord was going to return in their lifetime. They believed in the imminent return of Christ. They expected Christ to return while they lived. James is telling them the coming of the Lord is drawing nigh. It's, It's right at hand. And so they didn't understand this time of the Gentiles that we're living in now. They, they had no concept of the time of the Gentiles. It, it's not really given to us in, in Scripture how long this time is going to be. And so they didn't really anticipate a long period of time until the Lord returned. They, they expected the Lord to return, but they needed to be patient just waiting for the Lord to return because the Lord is going to return. And if they needed to be patient, 2,000 years ago, how much more do we need to be patient? Uh, someone I follow on, uh, on Twitter or X every day makes this post, we're one day closer to heaven. And that's true. Every day, we're one day closer to heaven. And so we wait patiently because the Lord is coming again. He is coming again to reward us. And and James uses an example for them of the husbandman. It is an example that they would know well, and and it's one that we know about a farmer and a husbandman. And and, and you think about the husbandman as he he sows his seed and then he he waits and he toils and he longs and he, he does what needs to be done while he's waiting on the fruit. He waits. He plants And he waits. And while he waits, he works. And while he waits, he expects. He looks forward to that fruit that's going to come. He knows that the earlier and the latter rains must come in order to have that that plentiful fruit. And so he waits for the timing. And he's patient. And he does what he should be doing while he's waiting. He's not waiting and twiddling his thumbs as he's, for those of you who garden, you, you know that you, that you sow the seed and then you have to weed the ground and you have to, you know, maybe you have to prune the, the vines or, or there's lots of work to do while you're waiting. So you're just not sitting and waiting still. You, you, you're patient and you wait on the timing because you know there's a cycle that has to take place for the fruit to come, but you wait and you're patient because you can't get ahead of the cycle. And so that's the, that's the example that, that James is using to help them to know and to encourage them to be patient because the Lord is going to draw nigh and at the accepted time, the Lord is going to return, but we have to be patient and wait on the cycle when the, at the appointed day, at the appointed time, Christ is going to return, but we should be waiting like the husbandman. We should be working and waiting, but being patient. And while we are working and while we are waiting patiently, we understand that to every there's a time to every season, a time to every purpose that's in the earth. But, but we know that the harvest is drawing near. So be patient because the Lord is going to return. 
And, you know, I always think about this. You know, you, 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 one day we're, we're sitting here and we're waiting patiently and, and, and we're thinking like, you know, well, is the Lord ever going to return? But, you know, you, you wait like maybe, maybe we're waiting for his 16th birthday. And you're like, I can't believe I, it's never going to get here. And, and the more you wait, the more you wait, you're just like, it's never going to get here. And then when you get here, it's like, oh, I can't believe that already got here. I can't believe it got here so fast, you know. I mean, you've been waiting on it for years. And then when it gets here, you're like, well, I can't believe it got here so fast. And, and that's the way the coming of the Lord is going to be. We, we've been waiting for 2,000 years. But when the Lord returns, we're going to say, hey, we didn't expect it. It got here so quickly. But James is trying to encourage them in their walk with the Lord to continue to be patient unto the coming of the Lord. And he tells them to, as they are waiting, to bear, to bear long as the husbandman bears long and to wait. Be also patient, he says at the verse number eight. So, so notice, Beginning of verse seven, be patient, therefore. And then beginning of verse number eight, be, be you also patient. So he's, he's sort of reiterating this fact of, of bearing long and being patient. But then he gives them some advice on how to bear long and be patient. <clears throat> and he tells them in verse number eight, establish your hearts. So he's going to give them some advice. The way to be patient and to wait correctly is to establish your heart establish means to set fast or to turn resolutely and so they are to set their heart fast on the returning of the lord because they know the lord is going to return the the, the lord the return of the lord draweth nigh so so set your hearts be patient and wait on the return of the lord but how are they going to do that? How do they establish their heart? How can they set their heart fast so they're not persuaded to turn away? That they, you know, no longer work because they say, well, you know, the Lord's never going to return, so why work? So he gives them some advice how to make sure they establish their heart. And the first thing he tells them in verse number nine is, how to establish your heart, first of all, is grudge not against one another. Grudge means to murmur or groan against. So apparently some of these, these who are in Christ Jesus in the early church, they were groaning against one another because of the troubles they were facing. And again, remember, we learned in verse number one, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. So there is no doubt that they were facing various kinds of temptations and tribulations. And what were they doing? They were doing the same thing Adam did in the garden. Well, that woman you gave me, she gave me the apple. You see, Adam tried to lay the blame on someone else. And apparently here, these early followers of Christ are doing the same. They're blaming their troubles and trials on someone else. It's someone else's, it's someone else's fault. You know, that's the way... Uh, that's the way brothers do, right? I mean, that's the, way, that's the way kids do, right? I mean, you got two brothers that live in the same house and something gets broken, it's always the other brother's fault, right? They're always, always, we always want to blame it on someone else. It's someone else's fault that this has happened to me. 
And so James is encouraging them not to groan against another. Don't blame your troubles on someone else. Why? Because he says, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. And so, grudge not because you will give an account for your relationships. You will give an account for the way that you treat one another. As you're waiting on the return of the Lord, you're going to have to give an account for the way that you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ. So don't grudge against them because one day you're going to have to give an account for that. You know, that's why Paul told us in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. So, so, so Paul encouraged the followers of Jesus to edify one another. And you can't edify someone if you're holding a grudge against them, if you're uh, murmuring against them, if you're saying, well, it's their fault. And so James is saying, don't begrudge one another. And Paul's saying, make sure you edify one another. And the reason we must do that is because the judge stands at the door. We're going to give an account. And, and we want to have a good account. When we stand before the Lord to give an account for our lives, we want to have a good account. And so the, we establish our hearts by not begrudging others, but by edifying them. And how much better off we would be if we would choose to edify one another instead of envying and being jealous and murmuring against. As followers of Jesus, our response to one another should be different than the response of the world. And we should understand the importance of edifying one another. So as you're being patient and you're waiting on the coming of the Lord, the first thing to do is don't deflect blame. Don't, don't blame your life on someone else. Don't murmur against someone else. Don't, don't point a finger at someone else. That's the first thing. As you're patiently waiting, don't begrudge someone. But second of all, he says in verse number 10, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Take courage from the prophets. So, so use the prophets as an example. Think about, think about the prophets, who they were. They were men that were specially called by God. They were men that were called to speak the word of God. They were men that were called to, to reveal the hidden will of God. They prophesied of the future. And how were they treated? The Bible tells us that many of them were persecuted. They were hated. Why? Because the words that they were telling people, the people didn't want to hear. <coughs> they, they were telling people, the judgment of God is coming upon you because of your sin. And instead of taking the word from the man of God and saying, you're right, I have sinned, and I need to repent of that sin, and I need to confess, and I need to turn from my wicked ways. Instead of that, they persecuted the man of God. And there's many examples of how the prophets were persecuted, but we can take one example from Jeremiah. We find in Jeremiah 38, 6, where it says, Then took they Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamelech, that was in the court of the prison, and he let down Jeremiah with cords. 
And in the dungeon, there was no water but mire, so that Jeremiah sunk in the mire. And so, so, so James is saying, take courage from the prophets. The prophets knew they were going to face affliction. They knew they were going to be persecuted. But still yet, they walked faithfully with God. And so, listen, you're going to face divers' tribulations. You're going to face afflictions in this world. But the prophets chose to walk faithfully with God even though they were going to face afflictions. You do the same. You choose to walk faithfully with God. You choose to walk faithfully knowing the reward that awaits you. That your reward is not what's happening to you in this present world. The, the reward is what awaits you and it's the reward that God is going to give you for your faithfulness. And so take courage. If the prophets could stand up underneath the affliction, then you can stand up underneath your affliction. And then notice what it says at verse number 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. <coughs> so, so when you're facing afflictions, take courage from the prophets and understand that even in this world they suffered affliction, yet they were happy. There's a certain kind of joy that comes when you're walking faithfully with the Lord. When you're walking in a way that you know that is pleasing to God, when you're following the word of God and you're bearing up underneath afflictions and you're not turning away from God but, and, and you're faithful to the word of God no matter what comes against you. And, and when, it, when it seems like, you know, like Job would say, it'd be better, they, they told Job, why don't you curse God and die? And Job's like, huh, no, I'm not turning away from God. Though he slay me. Yet will I trust him. And so he's saying, take courage like Job. There's a certain joy that comes along knowing the reward you're going to receive. And you have this happiness. But when you trust the Lord and you walk with him, even though you're facing persecution, there's a certain happiness that comes along with that. And that happiness that comes from walking faithfully with the, the Lord is something that the world knows nothing about. Because remember, the world is only living for the present moment. They can't look beyond their present circumstances. And their life is all built up in what is happening to them immediately. But we as Christians, we have the long view. We're not looking at what's happening to us immediately. We're looking to our eternal reward. And even though we may suffer for a moment here, we know it's working for us a far more eternal weight of glory. And so there's a certain happiness that we have by walking faithfully with the Lord. <coughs> even though our present circumstances are not good, we can still be happy. <coughs> and that's what James is trying to encourage them. And he talked to them also about Job. So the first way to establish your heart is to grudge not against one another, but edify one another. Take courage from the prophets and also take courage from Job. And I've already bled over into this. 
But I, but I want you to know that this is one of those places where a knowledge of the Old Testament is good. Because James assumes that they have heard of the patience of Job. And so he doesn't have to go back and, well, let me tell you about Job and what all happened to him. No, he says we've all heard about the patience of Job. And so it was good for them that they had a knowledge of Job. And, and, and that's why it's good and beneficial for us to have a knowledge of the Old Testament because we can take an example from some of those Old Testament saints and to see how God worked in their life and to know that how God worked in their life is the same way God's going to work in ours. And so we can draw strength from um, what's happening in the lives of those like Job. So he's, he's saying, establish your heart by taking courage by remembering Job. And I've already told you, Job trusted the Lord. And he said, it's in Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I will maintain my ways before him. So no matter what afflictions came upon Job, Job was not going to turn his back on God. Job was going to continue to trust in the Lord. He was going to maintain his ways before the Lord. How do you establish your heart? You do the same thing that Job did. You trust him. You maintain your ways before him. Job endured. <clears throat> and Job found some things out about the Lord. What did he find out about the Lord? He found out that he says in, at the end of verse number 11. What did it say that Job found out about the Lord? That the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. You know, here's another thing about studying the word of God. If you would ask me yesterday morning, what's that mean? The Lord is pitiful and of tender mercy. I, I, I might have been able to give you an answer, but I studied it yesterday and maybe Monday. And then yesterday I was able to use this with a member of the church. It's, it's amazing to me how many times that I'm studying the word of God and something I've read that day or recently is exactly what I need. Or it's exactly what I can share with someone else. It's something that they need. The, the Word of God is so fresh. It's so impactful in our days. And we miss so much if we, if we don't get into the Word of God to, to see it and read it and understand it. it. It's so meaningful to us. It's so helpful. But Job found out that the Lord, the Lord is pitiful. That word pitiful means extremely compassionate. Job was in difficult circumstances. And you know, we might look at Job and we're like, Job didn't deserve to be like that. Job's one, he, he was faithful to God. But did he? What did Job deserve? Well, we all deserve the same thing we all deserve hell and anything we get in life that is better than hell is better than what we deserve but still yet god is extremely compassionate towards job job's broken he's lost his family 
He's lost uh, his riches. And God is extremely compassionate and of tender mercy. That tender mercy means that is the sympathy of God that's called out by special cases. It is the feeling that, of God moved to pain and another's suffering. In other words, when Job hurt, God hurt. And Job came to understand that. That God was extremely compassionate and of tender mercy. And when Job hurt, God hurt. And it's just so encouraging to us to know that God comes alongside us in our suffering. That God's not standing afar off with a heart that is hardened towards our suffering. No, he's in the middle of our suffering, felt with the feelings of our infirmities. And he feels our hurt and our pain. And that's what Job came to understand. And so it means something to us to know that when we're hurting, God's hurting with us. And when we're hurting, God's hurting for us. And he's compassionate. He's going to help us. That's, that encourages us to, to establish our hearts knowing that God is pitiful and of tender mercy. He's extremely compassionate and he hurts when we hurt. So James is showing those who are in Christ that God has knowledge of their suffering. It is not without his notice. And the afflictions that they are experiencing have a goal. And so what he's saying is this. Listen, you're not suffering without a cause. This, the suffering that you're experiencing has a purpose. Trust God. Know that he hurts with you. Let God do his work. Patiently wait on him. Let him do his work in you and through you. Be patient. Have your heart established in your understanding of who God is. And the fourth way to have your heart established is to swear not. Notice he says, but above all, in verse number 12, the primary thing is to swear not. Establish your heart in faith not by swearing oaths. You know, apparently the, the, the Jews were pretty big at swearing oaths. And, and occasionally as you study the scripture, you, you will find they make some oaths to their hurt. They make some foolish oaths. You remember us men, we studied the foolish vow of Jephthah. When he said, the first, when you give me this victory, the first thing that walks out of my house, I will offer it to you. That was a foolish oath. James is saying, remember those oaths that people make and how foolish they are. Don't swear like that. Trust God. Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Speak truthful words. Be faithful in the words that you speak 
as you are establishing your heart, be faithful in the word you speak. As you're patiently waiting on the Lord's return, be faithful even in the words you speak. So James gives them four, <clears throat> four ways to establish their hearts so they can be patient. First, grudge not one another. <coughs> Second of all, take courage from the prophets. Third of all, take courage from Job. And fourthly, swear not. Let your yea be yea and your yea yet nay be nay. Speak words of truth. <clears throat> so the early followers of Jesus, they are said to be in Christ. And that means more than we understand, and we'll talk about that soon. And we also know that suffering is inevitable for them. Suffering is a part of life. None of us are exempt from it. And James is encouraging these early followers of Jesus to understand the value of suffering. Suffering builds character. Suffering increases faith. It challenges our willingness to consider the faithfulness of God and to consider faithfulness of God of greater value than comfort in this world. So we need to ask ourselves, will we be patient? with an established heart unto the coming of the Lord? Will we wait on him patiently? Because let's remember, the return of the Lord draws nigh. It's going to happen very soon. Those words of encouragement that gave, James gave his readers. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night and the opportunity we had to read from your word. And I pray that each of us, with established heart, will look for return of the Lord, and we will be patient as we wait. Thank you for the hope that we have and the promise of your soon coming again. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.